to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits and poultry all featured. Additional information such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. On today's episode of Maritime AgCast, we've got three great guests with us to talk about selecting a bull uh, that matches your herd. Today, we're joined by Amy Higgins, uh, who is a purebred Angus producer from Quispam, Sis, New Brunswick, uh, as well as the president of the New Brunswick Angus and Maritime Angus Associations. And she also works with the Maritime Beef Council. We've got Jasper Monroe, uh, who is the manager of research and innovation for Ag Sites. Uh, Jasper was raised on a commercial beef farm uh, near Tiverton, Ontario. Uh, he has a major in animal science at the University of Guelph and a Master of Science from Dalhousie University focused on beef cattle feed efficiency. Uh, and also a familiar voice for some of our listeners, Jonathan Wirt, uh, who is the manager of livestock and field crops at Perennia. Uh, he has extensive knowledge in ruminant animal production and management, uh, in addition to experience in policy and regulation related to livestock, both provincially and nationally. Uh, and he also farmed for more than two decades uh, with his family in Upper Stuyak. So I'd like to welcome everyone here to Maritime AgCast. Thanks, Brad. Uh, so yeah, let's drop r- right into this. So, you know, this is a, a topic that is very timely for a lot of our listeners in early January to February as we start going out and and looking for those replacement sires or new sires for our herds. Maybe Jonathan, we'll start with you. Why is it important uh, to actually go through a a fairly comprehensive bull selection process? That's a very good question, Brad. And and it's one I think that quite often we don't uh, consider carefully enough when we are deciding uh, what our goals are in terms of our breeding program and, and what we're looking for sire for our beef herds. The reality is that uh, half of the genetics that uh, we have in our in our calves that we we bring to market or bring back into our breeding herd, you know, is from the bull that that we select. And uh, you know, if you look long term, and you consider the heifers that you might retain out of that bull in your herd, it's, uh, it can become a very significant proportion of of the genetics in your your beef herd or in, in any livestock uh, herd. So, you know, you really need to, to sit down and think about what your breeding goals are and, and what your, your objectives for your, your beef herd are, you know, and, and think about things like, you know, whether or not you're retaining your heifers in, as part of your breeding program or whether you're gonna market all those animals, you know, at the end of uh, whatever your production cycle is into the, to the beef system. And both of those, uh, decisions from a marketing perspective have an impact on your decision of what kind of bull or, or the genetics that you're looking for in, in your in your beef bull or your sire for your herd. So, you know, it's uh, it's an important decision and, and uh, you know, you, you need to uh, outline your breeding goals and, and what your market opportunities and your target markets are before you go out and, and you purchase that bull because it's going to have a big impact on your your long-term profitability. And a lot of that uh, is really determined by understanding your marketplace and what you're you're targeting for a market. You know, not just whether or not you're retaining breeding stock yourself, but whether you're part of your goal to talk to other people. And if that's the case, you know, what is the the value that you have in your breeding stock that that you can sell or, or promote to somebody else? And if you're not interested in breeding stock, you know, you need to have a clear understanding of what the, the market is you're targeting for your feeder cattle or your finished cattle and what the requirements are for those markets in order to maximize your returns. You know, there, there's two components that have an impact on your return. 
you know, one is your management and the decisions you make during the management of the, those animals as they get ready to go to market. But then the foundational decision is, you know, what you're going to do in terms of selecting the genetics in your sire. So it's a big decision and it's a pretty important one. So when we're putting together information on our herd, Jasper, what should we be looking at as far as our base herd and, and looking then to match up with bulls? Um, some of us have different goals, whether it's maternal traits or carcass traits. Um, how do you analyze what your current herd looks like to figure out what your needs are going to be? Yeah, great question, Brad. And I think Jonathan's touched on some of those points already. Uh, it, it comes down to, unfortunately, the, the starting of bull selection requires at least minimal data recording on your cow herd. You need to know where your cow herd is sitting currently in terms of past calving ease issues, um, past performance measures, and then from there you can begin to shape. Um, really, there could almost be two approaches you could consider to selecting a bull. If we look at the dairy industry for years, there was um, a phrase used called corrective breeding, that if you can see your cows are short on, on weaning weights, then you're going to select for weaning weight. If you're, if you're having issues with calving ease, you're going to select for calving ease. And that's an approach that's really been moved away from and more to what Jonathan's saying is looking at your market and trying to select for what your market is. So it is great to know where your cow herd is sitting, but you have to be also thinking, okay, based on the values I'm getting currently for adjusted weaning weights, or if I'm selling market calves, what are my what are my dressed weights coming out at? That's where you start to make your decisions better from. You can start to understand if you need to be selecting bulls that have predominantly good carcass measures, or are you having issues with fertility instead that you need to be selecting for reproductive measures to ensure that you're getting calves to those market weights where they create value. So having records that help you understand where your herd is currently are key to selecting that bull. Um, where our industry gets caught up in a lot is that becomes overwhelming. Um, that they, they see all the numbers that come into play when selecting a bull, um, and quite often they're misunderstood, um, not well presented in some cases as well. And then from there, Quite often, breeders resort back to, to going on price and going on what they know, buying on reputation, buying from someone they've bought before, which there isn't necessarily anything wrong with that, but you're not necessarily maximizing the, the potential of that bull to benefit your herd and actually create more value for you. So I think Jonathan's touched on that well, is that there's, there's a lot of different things that should matter to someone when they're buying a bull. Um, it, it starts from anything as basic as who is the seller. Price is always going to be king in a lot of cases, and you need to consider a price in your buying decision, but you also need to consider the value that that bull is going to create. And to understand what that value is, that's where, like you're saying, Brad, you need to understand where your herd is sitting today to see how much value that bull can really create for you. And then you need to understand also that bull at the same time is a cost. So what cost does it have to you when you're looking at differences in breeding ratios and should you use an AI bull versus a natural sire? There's a lot of things that come into the equation all the way down to then appearance on the bull and its actual genetic performance when we look at things like estimated progeny differences um, and other measures of genetic performance. There's, there's a lot of things that come into the equation. And I think as, a, as an industry, it can be challenging to know what numbers to look at, how to interpret those numbers, and then how to pull those whole together to compare a group of bulls or to make that single bull that's going to be the best for your operation. So I think it, it comes down to knowing where your herd stands today and really, like Jonathan said, is knowing what your market is. If you're selling wean calves, you don't need to be focusing as much on traits like yearling weight or carcass weight or, or measures that are past your market point in a lot of senses. And I think that's a great place to start. Jonathan also touched that it can be challenging, I think, in, in many operations that really they don't have one target market. They have multiple target markets and, and considering, okay, well, how many of my calves am I selling? as wean calves versus as breeding stock versus as retaining into my own herd and that those all come into factors into the decision and they may also then determine if do I just need a herd sire or should I be looking at a combination of a herd sire to hit one set of market needs and using a combination of potentially AI sires to hit my other needs. There's a lot of flexibility available in the industry. There's a lot of high quality genetics that are available and I think hopefully tools like this help breeders understand what options they have available to them and how best to use them to make a decision that creates more value for their herd. So Amy, you're a, a purebred Angus producer and you sell some commercial cattle as well. Uh, when you're out on the ranch looking at your cow herd or evaluating your cows, what is it that you look for uh, when selecting a sire for, for your herd? 
So uh, we've we've got primarily a purebred uh, purebred Angus herd. So we have been um, a part of the Canadian Angus Performance Program for oh. Uh, as long as I can remember. So we've always submitted data that does get to create those expected progeny differences or EPDs. So in addition to just having that uh, phenotype uh, appraisal in terms of just what the feet and legs look like, um, depth of body and some of those um, things that you can see on the cow, we've also got a little bit more background in terms of what that performance data has been. And as a result, we're able to sort of um, have a strategy or uh, because we do use a lot of artificial insemination, uh, like Jasper ha had alluded to, and, and we do have a cleanup bull that, um, that we use and we, we sell a lot of bulls. So benefit of having that data is that we can almost precision breed things. So if you know that somebody needs some attention in sort of that yearling weight or if they're, if they're starting off really good and then sort of tape taper off in in their growth then then we can do some things that um with the information that the other uh the bull offering has in order to to kind of assess that um our group of cows also and this is a, another good point is we do have a fairly consistent group of cows there's like three different cow families that are that are on offer so uh the, the plan isn't very, very different. So um, that's that's a few of the things we can be a little bit more targeted because we're using artificial insemination as opposed to trying to find one bull to fit everybody. And they um, that's sort of where, where we're at. Now time for upcoming events. Nova Scotia Cattle Producers and Sheep Producers Association of Nova Scotia started publishing virtual farm tours in late 2020. Visit nscattle.ca and nssheep.ca and their social media channels to view these monthly releases. The Nova Scotia Federation of Agriculture is hosting a lunch and learn on wildlife management with the Nova Scotia Department of Lands and Forestry on February 17th at 11.30 a.m. To register, please visit nsfa-fane.ca forward slash event. There will be an informal RAM evaluation program Zoom meeting on February 23rd at 12.30 p.m. for anyone looking for more information on the upcoming RAM evaluation in Nepan this spring. To register, please visit nssheep.ca. Also occurring on February 23rd is Canada's Agriculture Day. Stay tuned to industry groups for events happening that day and how to get involved. The Canadian Federation of Agriculture annual meeting is happening on February 24th to 26th. More information can be found at cfa-fca.ca. The next feeder sale at Atlantic Stockyards will be February 18th. Please check atlanticstockyards.com for their full winter sale schedule and information on booking cattle. For programs available, please ensure you are regularly checking the Nova Scotia Programs website through the Department of Agriculture at novascotia.ca forward slash programs. A reminder of the free online safe handling and transport of sheep and cattle course by Prenia. A safe handling course is required for some CAP programs. For additional information or to register, please visit perennia.ca forward slash learning. The Nova Scotia Cattle Producers have launched the 2021 Elite Sire Program. Guidelines and the application can be found under the program section at nscattle.ca. So it's, it's bull purchase season and there's a lot of catalogs floating about online and being mailed directly to producers. You know, this is where I think a lot of folks are getting their buying information or at least information on specific bulls. Um, where else is a good place for folks to look for background information uh, on bulls that they're looking at purchasing? Uh, as, a, as a purebred person, if it's a purebred bull that you're looking at, the all of the registries, so the Canadian Angus, Canadian Hereford, Charlet, all have um, registries that you can look at that background data. So in the book, it might only have a few data points. Um, you can look at pedigrees going back five years. You can look at a few of a few of those things. That's just um, something something easy that everyone has uh, public access to. Those are the main ones that I think that people will go to. I mean, I think a lot of people. You're right. They they look at that sale catalog and see usually four or five EPDs on a bull and think that's all there is. Um, but they can go 
and do their due diligence ahead of time and go check that bull out on its its herd's registry or its breed's registry. That's probably the most common place that people will be going to. Um, it's it's only valuable in a sense if that's the breed of bull, if if that breed's going to match the breed that you're selecting for. So if if you're in any situation that works well where you're selecting a purebred bull for the same purebred herd, so an Angus bull for your Angus cow herd, those numbers are are accurate. Um, but if you're looking for for other tools that if you're a crossbred or commercial producer looking to select different purebred or crossbred bulls, um, then then those numbers actually don't jive, let's say, with the numbers of your herd. They're actually on based on different sets of data as, as a way to explain it. And those numbers won't be as accurate as they would be if you're a purebred working with a purebred. Um, some of the tools that AgSites offers helps with that by giving EPDs in a scale to allow you to compare them across any breed, um, regardless of what your breed is, to give you an accurate idea of how that bull is going to perform in your herd. Um, other valuable tools that really, I think, start the conversation are, are some of the tools that BCRC has available. Um, understanding what you can afford to pay for a bull is a great place to start. I'm not sure how many breeders would do that. Probably a lot are using it based off of previous prices and knowing what the average price this is this year to know what they should be paying. But maybe you can afford to pay more for a bull that's going to create that much more value for you. So I think looking at BCRC's website and using some of those tools, they, they help you kind of get a a range or where you know you can work to start buying your bull in and then you can come back to the catalogs and registries like like Amy saying to start comparing bulls to, to see how much more can I afford to pay for one bull one bull over another while still staying within my budget. I, th I think also the consideration in terms of where you're looking for a bull and and, and what your your goals are it's also important to have a basic understanding of the management uh, the bull that you're considering or the bulls that you're considering have been raised under given that you know you you need to think about that how, how that relates to your own management because it's going to be a significant transmit transition for the the bull to move into your herd and uh, the more closely that uh, the background or the raising background of the bull that you purchase is to your own herd uh, situation the probably the easier the transition for that bull is going to be and the easier for your management of that bull for to ensure its long-term you know longevity and pro productivity in your herd is going to be so it, it's it's i think it's a good thing to to have a pretty good idea of what the management of the the herd is that you're looking towards buying the bull out of and that's not always easy, but I think it's worth making that effort to to try and find that out. Yeah, I think it's a good point, Jonathan, because when we start to look at the valuations of bulls, the longevity of that bull plays huge into the total value it creates for it. If your management's only getting four years out of a bull, um, where if you can tweak your management or your, or your grazing system to get that bull to, to six or seven years of productive life, um, even if he's breeding 25 cows a year, you can get upwards of an, an additional 50 to 75 cows or calves, sorry, out of that bull, um, creating that much more value. And I think those are some of the numbers, um, like you're saying, Jonathan, you have to understand how are you going to manage that bull. It helps when I'm looking at numbers, helps me understand how much more, again, um, I can afford to pay for a bull maybe is one way to look at it. If you're looking at, at two bulls on paper, you need to start realizing, well, how many cows am I going to get out of that bull? Um, if I'm going to keep that bull for five years at 25 calves per year, I can get 125 calves out of that bull, um, and I can start looking at some of the values. Let's say that bull has a an EPD for weaning weight of, of 100 for easy math, and the other bull that you're looking at only has an EPD of 75. So that's telling you that it's estimated that that bull's calves are going to weigh 25 more pounds at weaning than the other bulls. And if you take that over the 125 calves, you start to get in a lot of additional weaning weight. And even if you value that at $2 per pound, you can start to see that that one bull is going to create a lot more value for you the longer you're able to keep it. Um, and you can start to see if it really is worth as much as the current auction price is going to be, or you can see how much more you can afford to pay for it. So I think you need to know how you're going to manage that bull, like Jonathan saying before, before you can dive in and really understand how much you can pay and which bull is right for your operation. So there's a, once we've identified our needs within our herds you know we've found the mountain of information that's available whether through a sale catalog uh, whether it's going on the breed association websites uh, other performance data that may be available if the bull was tested how do we start interpreting that data to actually match it to a, what our needs are 
to actually come to that point and, and we're willing to raise our hand for a specific poll. I think I'll, I can take a, a first take at that one, Brad. So I think um, kind of what you're alluding to and, and Jonathan and maybe touched on it before is you really need to know what market you're wanting to sell into. Um, so are, are you selling wean calves, yearlings? Are you in the bread heifer market? Are you doing yearling bulls, fat cattle, freezer beef? Or are, you, are you selling to Atlantic beef products as finished cattle? There's, there's so many different markets you can hit or you could be hitting each of them differently um, in terms of some cattle going here, some cattle going there. So your, the buying decision already gets complicated at that point, but you first need to know where's that market going and then you can start to line up, okay, well, what traits matter to that market? So if I'm selling red heifers, things like calving these are going to matter or um, agent at first calving, things like that, or, or first service conception rates. There's, there's new traits coming out, new EPDs coming out for a lot of things focused on fertility for those reasons. So if, if I'm a breeder that's interested in selling replacement animals or, or seed stock for, for maternal traits, I, I'd be looking towards the traits that matter to, to my market, which are going to be those commercial or seed stock buyers. That are looking for easy flushing or 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 maternal traits. I would be saying look at your things such as calving ease. Again, looking at calving ease over birth weight. Looking at things like fertility measures for for service conception or or age at first calving. You you always think about what your market is and then what traits align with that market. And then that those are the ones that you start to focus on to what differences there are. That's not perfect, and that's why we start to see tools called selection indexes. They really help you understand because you, you're rarely ever and you really should never be just selecting on one trait. So you should never just select on gain or on weaning weight or on cavities. It should be a, a group of traits that you're trying to select for to move that herd in general forward in the right direction. And so selection indexes or selection tools, um, which are available from essentially all the major breeds now, put those different traits all into one value. They put the trait and how important it is all into one value so you can easily understand how good that bull is going to be for your operation. And then you can look at the differences between different selection indexes. There'll be a maternal index or a, a more carcass-driven index, um, or there can be a, a more complete index that looks at both terminal and carcass traits. So understanding your market and the traits you need are, are powerful, um, but moving towards selection indexes really helps you make sure that you're not overselecting on one trait and causing issues with other ones on the other side. Like if you're selecting too heavily for fertility, you're probably not gonna get the performance that you want out of your herd. So selection indexes are really help, in my mind, simplify the decision for the, for the buyer. They can go to, to one value to see where that bull ranks in their, in their needs and how well it will meet their needs. So one of the things that I hear uh, every year at either the Maritime Beef Testing Station sale or folks prepping for another private sale uh, here on the Maritimes or even bidding on bulls out west, uh, you know, a lot of times they'll be looking at one or two breeds that they think fit in their program. And one of the big things we hear is, you know, EPDs, how do we interpret them? Uh, one of the big challenges I think that a lot of producers have is that they're no breed, I say no breed, uh, a lot of the EPD scales across breeds aren't comparable directly. So what advice would you give to producers on you know, how to compare across breeds? I know Jasper, you mentioned the, the across breed EPD that Egg Sites has, um, but if they, they don't have access to that information, how do you do it kind of on your own by looking at the different breed websites? So there, there yeah, does... Oh, sorry, Jasper, go ahead. Nope, go for it, Amy. I want to hear your answer. Okay, <laughs> well, there, there is a theoretical one that does exist um, that is called an across-breed EPD adjustment. Uh, you can find it in the back of most semen catalogs or um, online, and it can give you a, an adjustment. And again, it's directional to tell you what the difference, the different numbers is because you can't compare the breed EPDs directly, but that will give you a, a decent indication on if you're looking at um, Simital, Charley, and Limousin, for example, and if you're looking for something that's in, in con the continental aspect, then you can at least have an idea of how those numbers may compare to it. another once you get your top one or two picked out um, from, from your sale catalog. That's always what I would suggest is figure out which um, what your shortlist is and then dig into the 
dig into the data um, instead of instead of looking at the sale catalog and getting overwhelmed with the amount of data. Just yeah, pick out pick out what your short list is and and dig into them. That was essentially going to be my answer. Um, the only other thing I would add, and I think it's Amy's point and great to it, is that don't just show up on sale day with your catalog in your hand and start looking at it for the first time then, um, because you're, you're not going to probably have the time to, to sort through and select the bull that you need. Uh, like Amy's saying, there's, there's breed adjustments that are available. They seem to be more readily available in the U.S., but there is best guess tools available that really still do an adequate job if you're if you're trying to adjust an Angus CPD down to a, an across-breed EPD so you can compare those across-breeds, it is as accurate as you can get without using, say, a, a tool like our across-breed comparisons because it's based on differences when they're, there's, there's a lot of factors that come into play there in terms of when the evaluations were last ran, when those averages were calculated, but it is it, it's better than doing nothing is the best way to look at it, and it is still valuable for, for breeders that aren't using the breed of bull that or are don't have a cow herd that lines up with that breed of the bull. Um, but in the long run, you need to do your homework ahead of time for, for, for you to be able to use tools like those. You can't just show up um, with pick up the catalog when you walk in the door and expect um, those numbers to be right in front of you. Unfortunately, it does take some homework ahead of time. You know, so we, we've talked a lot about the numbers. Uh, obviously, those aren't the the only thing that we're looking at when we're trying to match a bull to a herd. So what are some other things that uh, producers or breeders should be looking for in that overall bull selection process that aren't necessarily just data and numbers? Well, I, th I think you've got to take in, and Jonathan did allude to this a little bit earlier, but where, um, where are your bulls going to be working at? Is he, is he, he's got to be able to travel some ground, which means that the foot structure and leg structure has got to be sound or else um, you don't want a lame bull coming up. A week into your your breeding window, um, so so that's pretty vital in in my opinion. And there there's some just general structure uh, structure things that like you want some depth of body, you want some capacity for the for that frame to be put on. Frame is another um, another thing that you can sort of match up to what your what your cow herd looks like. Uh, something that's got a, a super big frame generally a little bit more feed to get there which brings us to and i hope we're going to talk about this later but um your feed intake in the in the efficiency information is something that's that's critical that's not that does that we do have at the maritime beef test station but isn't always uh, readily available so um those would be a couple of the things that to make sure that there's there's sound um a semen semen test and to make sure that the the evaluate the breeding evaluation is done and um, and if not, then to make sure that you're okay taking um, taking what comes along with not having that peace of mind when you're purchasing. The other thing would be what your management practice is. So our firm is generally a it's a pretty small one. Um, when we've got a bull out on pasture, we've and if, if something happens that we do have to get a hold of him to to give him a treatment or to to handle him, we need to be able to throw a halter on him and handle him because we don't have a really great uh, system at our summer pasture. So that's something that we keep in mind. And so most of most of what we, we've got to have something that's good tempered that we can sort of deal with uh, with ad hoc. And that might be something that just you, you think about um, in terms of just general disposition, because sometimes that disposition is just as much genetic as anything. Amy touched on the key one that I was thinking was the breeding soundness evaluation. It's one that you hear a lot of breeders that stand by them and a lot of breeders that don't think they're important. But if all of a sudden, like Amy's saying, you get a bull at a weekend and he's a dud and you're, you actually don't find out until you do your peg checks three months later, then that has huge effects on your bottom lines in terms of increased cost. Was there a guarantee on that bull that you can set, get him back from the from the seller and get another bull but now you're already three months late on your next calving season at least and how does it impact your markets do you start losing access to some of the markets that you had i think breeding soundness evaluations are things that are often overlooked and have really little additional cost to that bull when you consider really the kind of the, the risk management that it's helping for you especially if you're going to be selling your bulls at the same time is taking advantage of breeding soundness evaluations to ensure that the bull that you're buying or selling will actually perform the, the only other one that I could think to add on to what, to, to 
what Amy's got is really trying to complement that bowl to what your herd is in terms of structure. I mean that in a few different ways. Uh, first, we'd be looking at things like calving ease. I've had different breeders ask before, well, why do we publish both a birth weight EPD and, and a calving ease EPD? Calving ease EPD? One, one is the same as the other. And, and, and it's not actually the case. And I guess the, the one advice I would give is don't always get caught up in low birth weight bulls. Um, it, all, it can depend on a variety of factors. Um, and that's where the calving ease takes into consideration those other factors. Because if that is a small Angus bull that you're using on a, a large continental her herd of cows, um, then a large birth weight bull is probably going to be fine on those cows. So understand how that bull will be used in comparison to your cow herd um, and, and focus on numbers that really don't matter as much what the size of that animal is going to be. So looking at calving ease helps you understand, well, does it necessarily matter what that birth weight is as long as that cow is coming unassisted and as long as it still has good performance numbers in terms of weaning weights and, and yearling weights. So that's that can be looked at outside the numbers. Make sure that you understand that that, that bull has to complement your herd and work with the, the cow herd that you're using. Um, and that can work in twofold. Um, the other the other one I was going to mention is people get caught up again in, in selecting for traits like average daily gain and ribeye area because they're trying to push their retail yield and push larger carcass weights. But like Amy's saying, I'm not sure if we'll get into it too in-depth, but that that is a an input cost to it as well, is that if you're selecting for these animals with larger ribeyes with higher carcass weights, it probably means that they're going to need, need more feed on average to get to those higher weights. And that's where having access to the data that we see at the Maritime Test Station with feed intake and hopefully the creation of feed intake EPDs over time is you can balance that. You can say, okay, where can I find a bull that has a high carcass weight EPD, but also is very feed efficient? Then I know that he's going to start producing offspring that are going to get me performance without more feed cost. So you need to understand those. One number isn't always king, and that you need to use the numbers in combination, and you need to understand how that bull will complement your herd. I'd have to agree with both Amy and and Jasper. I, you know that the the numbers that we have available to us are are, are really valuable and important, but uh, we also need to make sure that uh, whatever bull you you select is you know structurally sound, has good conformation. And I think uh, it really is important to make sure that you have some kind of breeding soundness evaluation. Because as Jasper said, even if you just miss one cycle of breeding a cow, it has a significant impact on your bottom line. If you have a bunch of open cows, that you're not going to recover that financially at all. It's going to be a significant hit. So the data related to uh, performance is really good and and very important, but uh, we also need to make sure that that bull is capable of performing the tasks that we want, and it's you know going to stand up. And in order to ensure that, it's got to have good confirmation and and uh, checking to make sure that it's a good breeding animal is important too. Here's the market report for the weekend at January 29th, 2021, brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limited, which has been Atlantic Canada's primary auction mark for more than 60 years. In the local hog market, base price in Nova Scotia was $1.59 per kilogram, up six tenths of a cent from last week. In Ontario, base price was also up six tenths of a cent from last week to $1.50 per kilogram. In the Quebec market, base price was $1.67 per kilogram, down 2.8 cents from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle price at Atlantic Beef Products was unchanged at $2.29 on the rail. In Ontario, live steers sold for $1.34, moving up $0.05 cents from last week. And in Quebec, rail price was $2.33, up $0.01 cent from last week. Call cattle at Atlantic Stockyards sold for $0.63, cents, a downward change of $0.07 cents from last week, while rail price at Atlantic Beef Products was $1.20, up $0.03 cents from the prior week. Calls in Ontario averaged 53 cents, up two cents from the prior week, and 55 cents in Quebec, flat from the week before. Good Bob calves between 90 and 120 pounds at Atlantic Stockyards sold for $109, down $18, while calves in Ontario were down three cents to a price of $1.30 per pound. Calves in Quebec were $1.14, a drop of one cent per pound. Base price for lambs at Northumberland Brookside Abattoir is $12 per kilogram and mutton is $6 per kilogram. 50 to 64 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average 373 at 58 pounds, ranging from 355 to 390. In Ontario, 50 to 64 pound lambs averaged 411 per pound at 59 pounds, ranging from 350 to 450. 
For 65 to 79 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards, they average 393 per pound at 72 pounds, ranging from 350 to 415. And in Ontario, 65 to 79 pound lambs average 393 per pound at 71 pounds, ranging from 350 to 430. Use at Atlantic Stockyards range from 100 to $300, averaging 202. And in Ontario, average 263 per pound at 152 pounds, ranging from $1.52 and a half to 325. Make sure you check the association websites for additional pricing information. So all of you folks have alluded to the fact that there is additional information uh, potentially for bulls if they've been gone if they've gone through a testing program, whether or not it's a home testing program like we see uh, across the country, or maybe it's uh, a testing uh, program from a facility similar to the Maritime Beef Testing uh, Station. You know, how do you use that additional uh, environmental type data uh, and genetics data and how they link together to help enhance that bull buying decision? There's a few different ways you can use the information and there's over time their technology continues to advance to make it so home tests become more and more valuable as well. Classically, the main purpose of central test stations was to allow smaller producers that didn't have the capacity to test bulls at home. And what that test is doing is looking to compare bulls under consistent environmental parameters to compare the differences in, in performance and fertility when we're looking at measures of scroll to circumference. Um, and with a central test station, it allows, one, breeders and buyers that maybe don't have a full understanding of the tools such as EPDs and other genetic measures to actually compare quote-unquote raw performance measures under a consistent environment. So if you, if you don't have a full understanding of what a, a yearling weight EPD means or what an average daily gain EPD means, well, I think you would have a good understanding of, okay, two bulls just came off test. One's an Angus, one's a, one's a Hereford. We, we know they were managed for essentially four months under the same environment. What's their difference in average daily gain? Having a central test station really helps, one, helps make adjustments for environment easier contemporary groups and allows for accurate EPDs to be calculated for performance traits that aren't typically measured on the farm. Things like ultrasound measures, scroll circumference, and, and things like feed efficiency when we have the, the technology that we have in the pan. Having a central test or even a home test allows for that because that data is now getting captured. The other unique thing about a central test is really it, it provides a great learning opportunity in my view um, for the breeders that are there. You get exposure to the data capture that typically doesn't happen on the farm, you get exposure to working with other breeders, learning their, their techniques. There's a, there's a whole second like educational learning piece to, to central test stations, but at their core, they're meant to allow us to evaluate the performance of bulls on a consistent scale under a consistent environment um, to help advance genetic improvement. And I would, yeah, I agree with everything that Jasper had just mentioned. Um, I was down with my Cattlemen Young Leaders mentorship uh, to Denver, Colorado, not this last, like a couple Januarys ago, and we had toured uh, Lee Leachman's um, ranch there, and he had kind of given uh, given a presentation and uh, residual feed intake and that feed efficiency thing. Just knowing that we've got that data on our bulls at the test station is um, is valuable, but he laid it out in just sort of a way that it does make sense and and it should be something that more data exists on and that it should be a it should be a decision making factor again if all th other things are equal this this is the make or break because the the amount of feed that you're putting into to cows especially on a year like like this year when we we might be short a little bit of feed is uh, is essential, and that's not just for a feedlot. That's for our our whole cow herd. If we can make the cow herd efficient, the example that he gave was one bull. They weigh twelve hundred and fifty pounds a piece. One eats seventeen pounds of dry matter in a day. The other eats forty two. One converts at a four to four to one ratio. The other converts ten to one, in terms of feed to gain. So being more feed efficient is a negative uh, is a more negative residual feed intake um, that if you're looking at that number at the test station it's it negative is better so that could be directionally in um, with the with the way that the heritability happens on feed efficiency that means that in a future generation on those four to one conversion bowls you could feed 112 cows on the same feed that you've been feeding 75 for now, because you're looking at a 30, 30% ish 
heritability. So if you consider it that way, if you can do more cow, if you can have more cows on the same amount of feed, then you can sell more calves. I mean, it, it just drives a, it just drives a, a growth and a, and a more profitable business. Yeah, I think that's the, the interesting part of a central test station. If we look at Lee Leachman's a great example of a larger operation that can afford the overhead of buying feed intake facilities and um, higher technologies in terms of handling facilities, that gives him incredible access to new types of data. Creators across the Maritimes have that same access without having to make the significant investment. They can instead go and take their gold to a central test station like the one in Japan, get access to that feed intake data, weights on a monthly basis, other performance measures from average daily gain to, to carcass measures from ultrasound traits, and they can have that all presented to them without them having to make a direct upfront investment in, in equipment that can cost tens to twenties to hundreds of thousands of dollars um, for their 20 to 3rd cow operation. It doesn't make sense. So I think that is a huge value of those central test stations, right? As you can get access to that incredible information like Amy's going through um, without needing to make the investment to your actual operation. So one of the things that uh, I think everybody will talked about just briefly uh, earlier in the episode was, you know, whether or not to to breed AI or to have a live bull. Don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but, you know, as a, particularly maybe a small type producer, any advice or any thoughts on on which one of those routes to go as far as being able to tailor those genetics to your smaller herd um, or just the overall cost effectiveness or, or lack of cost effectiveness uh, with breeding AI? The use of AI can give you access to genetics that you wouldn't be able to access any other way, either because of geography and not being able to bring the animal to your farm, or you know maybe the the, the genetics that you're interested in are, are just beyond your reach financially. Whereas through buying semen, you can probably afford to do it. I think the biggest challenge is with with any herd, big or small. If you're going to go into an AI program, you really need to to plan that and make sure you manage your cows properly and and make sure that uh, they're in good breeding condition, which goes for any breeding period. But you know it becomes more uh, important if you're going to breed AI and rely rely on on artificial insemination because you're obviously not going to have that bull to be there to do cleanup unless you you rebreed it. So uh, with with the same uh, same semen. So, you know, I, I think that AI is, is quite often overlooked as, as a potential breeding option on a lot of our farms because, you know, it isn't necessarily as accessible as it used to be, but I think it's it's still a very good option that people need to consider. Yeah, and I think it, it can be used as a powerful tool when you're trying to hit multiple markets um, from a smaller operation. So if you have 20 to 25 Cows, you're thinking you're going to sell maybe three as breeding stock, either as as heifers or bulls, depending on what comes out, and then maybe you're going to sell a, a small group of maybe 10 or 12 as weaned cows, and then you're thinking you're going to keep maybe five or 10 as freezer beef. Well, that's pretty hard to hit all those markets with one bull while trying to optimize your, your value in each market. So it's difficult when making the calculations for AI. A lot of people, you'll you'll see a, an, a breed rep for a, or a regional rep for for an AI company to show you the comparisons and how much money you can save using AI versus a natural herd sire. But John makes a good point. It's often forgotten that it's very difficult and very rare, especially under larger numbers of cow herds or larger cow numbers in a herd, sorry, that you're ever going to get everyone pregnant on the first or even second service. Um, and that's where that cleanup bull is often needed. And that cleanup bull comes at a cost as well, right? So it's that always has to be factored into that calculation. But I think if you're looking at smaller operations where they're using a, a herd sire regardless, um, the that herd sire can help meet one or two of their markets, but the use of AI, uh, multiple AI bulls, like Jonathan's saying, gives them access to high quality genetics that can start really targeting other markets at the same time. And I would, I would echo all of those things. Uh, as someone who, uh, we have sleeve service, so I took the AI course years ago but never did it consistent or had never done it consistently enough to kind of gain that as a reliable skill I guess we'll say we get sleeve service in we've got access to that in um, in our geography which we are very lucky about the the management of it because the thing about throwing a bull out is you can throw a bull out and he does his thing he'll do the heat detection on his own and he'll he'll again hopefully get the job done 
Uh, whereas if you are doing artificial insemination, it is a little bit of management. If you're detect detecting natural heats, um, that's something we use, the Estratech. There's lots of technology that exists, the Estratech uh, heat patches. Um, last year we started to use and they were pretty handy. Uh, synchronization has come a long way too. There's been lots of, uh, lots of good if you talk to your vet about a, a synchronization program and then you can do a timed AI to make sure that the AI tech, if you are doing sleep service, can arrive at a specific time. And um, the the rates on that have improved immensely, and they've they've figured out a lot of that uh, that bit of technology, which again all is a little bit of an additional cost. But if it takes out having to to do that heat detection and sort of be up checking on the herd at multiple times during the day to make sure that you're not missing anything, um, it's it's just something to to consider. So there's lots of technology that's. Uh, that's been more accessible in these last few years in terms of uh, heat detection. But that said, sometimes that that just extra layer of management doesn't work and and the bull is the way to go. Before we wrap up, you know, talking about resources uh, for support and making decisions. So, you know, who do you reach out to uh, to help make those decisions? One thing that we've recognize and it's to your point on resources and tools and it's a conversation that i know i've had with readers across the maritime support and with you brad and, and jonathan and amy is there's all kinds of numbers out there that's what we've covered on this episode how do breeders know where to go and even if, if they get to the right numbers they don't get how to use them or how to use them on their operation because their operation might not have the numbers to jive what we've worked to create and we're still finishing up um, is a tool called amplify um it'll be a tool that's accessible on our website by anyone. They don't have to be a user of anything from ag sites. It's simply a tool that essentially lets them build their own index. It tells, they go on, they say, okay, what traits matter to me? Do I care about weaning weight, birth weight, ribeye area, and maybe back fat? And then how important are they on a scale of one to five? And then I click search um, and I can say what breeds I'm looking for, what province that bull needs to be from. And there's a few other tweaks that we're gonna expand it to include heifers over time. And it then spits out the, the top animals that we found available in that area. Now, those are animals that have come through our software, but we're hoping that expands over time. It lets them say, okay, here's the top five bulls um, that match up with what you care about. Um, and here's the numbers on each of them. And here, who has that bull, give them a call to see if that bull is for sale and what they're looking for. So we're trying to really simplify that process, creating a tool that a lot of the numbers breeders don't understand. And a lot of the numbers are difficult to explain. This helps take out that complication and give a simple tool that gets right down to the bulls that meet their needs. One quick comment I'll make is the, the other place for resources and tools, Brad, I think I touched on that before, is BCRC. A lot of us are becoming more and more aware of their, of their tools, but there's a suite of tools available from them. They're not as perfect as doing the numbers yourselves, but a lot of us don't have access to the data that we need to get to the accuracy that they do. So they're a great place to start and really to help you see the value in keeping data that's needed to understand your operation. And I would echo beefresearch.ca is beef, uh, BCRC's uh, website, and they they have an increasing amount of good tools that are uh, that are out there. The other good resource to if you've got that short list of bulls is to talk to the person who bred that bull and to see what that background is. Generally speaking, are going to be pretty open, open and honest if you let them know what their um, what your goals are. And if you can be, if you can communicate that, then they might be able to recommend you either into, into that bull or into, into something different that might suit your needs better. Um, so that may be another, another just outreach to go. And Jonathan mentioned previously in the episode, all the reasons why connecting with the bull seller might be, might be a good idea. And I, I think just to reiterate uh... Jasper and, and Amy have both pointed out that uh, this is a big decision that you're going to make in terms of purchasing a bull and it's going to have a huge impact on on your herd uh, performance and profitability and uh, really you need to do some some soul searching and, and some research before you make the decision to purchase the bull and I mean Jasper has pointed out a couple of times that just showing up at the sale and you know, with the catalog and not really knowing where you're headed is probably not going to get you the the results that you want so 
it really does make sense to take the time to 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 look at what you're you're going to do in terms of making your purchase and you know if you're not quite sure then you know there's lots of people out there who can help you with that decision making process you just have to reach out to them so you know we have extension people in the maritimes there's lots of very experienced producers who are more than happy to to share their their knowledge and experience and then we've got commercial organizations like ag sites that they're providing services and they have people who are very knowledgeable that can help their clients so and then we have our breed associations uh, like the the nova scotia cattle producers who also are more than happy to connect people and, and provide resources so there's lots of help out there you just need to to sit down and think about what you need and reach out for help all this effort that you've gone into to purchasing a bull you can pretty much consider it out the window if you're not going to manage that bull properly when it gets home in terms of nutrition and um, vaccination programs and other um, best management practices that you're using. If you're not going to manage that bull properly in terms of especially nutrition, if we're looking at a, a bull and how it essentially divides um, its nutrients to different systems, things like reproduction and, and performance are the first ones to fall off the table. So if you're not properly managing that bull, the first things you're going to start to see is that it's actually not meeting the genetic potential that its numbers set ahead. Uh, those numbers are saying if you're managing your bull properly, here's what you can expect from it. So I think there, there is a huge conversation there. Now you have that bull at home. Now what do I do to ensure it is getting the numbers and the value that I expect from it? That's, that's a really good point, Jasper. And to add to that, I think that some folks may not give the, the strategy of even it, um, getting a bull into the herd as much thought as maybe they should because if you take a take a yearling bull that comes from the maritime beef test station for example first part of april sale some people are taking that bull right home and dumping them out into into a pasture and you've got to take a little bit of time to consider um, what those risks are in terms of the stress on that bull's been been pretty high these last couple of days you might have an eight-year-old boss cow that beats the ever living bejesus out of this poor little yearling bull even though he because he's new to the new to the herd and she's the boss or you might have a a four or five year old bull already in the in the pasture that's but you need two bulls to cover to cover that so all of those things just should be a little bit considered and just makes make a plan to make that um, transition into the breeding pasture is as easy as possible because you want him able to go to work on day one of your calving or of your breeding window and not have to take two weeks to adjust once you get out there. With that, I definitely want to thank you, Amy, Jonathan, and Jasper for joining us today. And we look forward to chatting with you in the near future on some other important subjects around bull selection and, and beef genetics. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad. It's great to be able to join the conversation, Brad. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime Agcast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of archesaudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes. <laughs>